Wait for it. For a second. Podcast episodes. Who are you? Oh, I'm Yeye Martinez. And this is Big Jeff. And today, you know, since it is the Michael Jordan of the Beauty and Beast Mode podcast um, episodes, we decided to get a man that we thought was like comparable to Jordan in his field. Almost, if you would, a champion of men. Six time champion? How many rings did Jordan have? Six for six. Six for six. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Adam Silva, back again. Thank you. I don't know about the Michael Jordan reference, but I'll take it. I'll take it. Back to back. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you back. Um, We missed you. Did you miss us? I did. I did. I can never get enough of Beauty and the Beast. Mode. Beauty and the Beast mode. Well... Um, so yeah, we have Adam back today. Last time Adam was on, we just started to scratch the surface on some very interesting topics, um, as it related to leadership, uh, character development, and we wanted to dive in a little deeper on some of those. And, uh, Adam has been doing some new things with character development and, um, and building men and. Uh, we wanted to talk more about that today and, and really get into great detail on these topics. So, uh, before we go there, Jeff, I just want to say hello. How are you, man? Hello. It's me you're looking for. I'm good, baby. I yeah. am good. Happy to be back on the mic with you. Yeah, yeah. And our special guests in the house. We have uh, another special guest as well in the house. <laughs> live studio, studio audience. <laughs> live studio audience from all the way from LA. <laughs> from LA. From wow. LA. So, we have our live studio audience today, and if she has questions, then we'll make sure she gets them on. Damn right. Yeah, absolutely. Adam Silva, why was it so important for you to come back? Well, the first thing I'll say is I'm still a little taken aback by Jeff's intro using Lionel Richie there. That's all. I'm, I'm singing. I'm singing hello now in my mind. And I don't know if I'm ever going to recover from this, by the way. Um, you know, I, I mentioned to you guys when we were kind of talking leading up to turning the power on here that it took me a while to come the first time, you know, for with, after your invitation. You know, I, I always struggle with, you know, who am I to share this kind of stuff? And you know, as I've talked with a lot of the kids that I, I'm able to spend time with and, and, you know, some of the executives that I work with, it's, you know, I'm not here to preach. Um, I certainly don't consider myself to be an authority on anything. Um, but I think that there's a lot to talk about. And, you know, with you guys wanting to spread positivity in the world, you know, hopefully I can help do that a little bit. Um, because I, I've referred to myself as a deeply flawed individual. And I will say that over and over again. Um, I learned from making a lot of mistakes. And so, 
you know, I guess they say that a smart, smart person, you know, learns from their mistakes. A wise man learns from the mistakes of others. <laughs> so hopefully we can help some people develop some wisdom here, you know, and just share some of the pitfalls and tri- tribulations and whatnot. So that's why I'm back. Yeah. Nice. In addition to the fact that I love you guys, as you know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. You love uh, Jeff's uh, DJing abilities and talents. That's right. Um, and next time we will have the turntables there for you so you can get on the ones and twos. Absolutely. So before we got started, before we actually pressed record, we had a great dialogue going around the table um, talking about uh, character and leadership and, and race and, and uh, I mean, you name it, we were, we were talking about it. Um, and so hopefully some of that stuff comes out in this conversation as well. But Adam, to get into it... Um, you mentioned that you were now assisting a high school football team uh, with some character development. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Uh, I, as I told you guys, I was not a football player. I'm not a football player, nor am I a football coach. I, I don't understand the ins and outs of the game. Um, my mom would never let me play, so I found soccer and then eventually lacrosse. Um, but we have a, a high school football coach here locally who I absolutely adore. And, and I, I believe in him because he's more than just about X's and O's. He's about building men for others, and he's about building the community. And it starts with the Pop Warner and the Developmental League, and it goes all the way through high school. Um, and I've known that about him for a few years, but I had, the, I had fear. And so I, I'd never approached him, and I never just reached out and offered to be a part of that program. Um, and finally, you know, over the, uh, actually it was after our last podcast. Um, it was one of the things that encouraged me to, you know, uh, fight that fear and just go reach out to coach and say, I'm not here cause I think you need to be improved. I'm not here because I think you're faltering or falling down. I'm just here because I would love to be a part of what you're doing and try to complement or supplement character development um, with the, the JV and the varsity football program at the high school level. And so he's like, hey, when can you come in? And so the next day I was sitting in front of him, we sat across from each other at the table, had about a 15 minute conversation and decided just come to practice later that day, uh, kind of float, listen, learn, uh, get to know some coaches, get to know some kids. And then we have a, a 20 point um, character development outline that I've used with some local lacrosse programs, and um, he, I shared that outline with him, and he said, I love it, let's do it. And so not only do I try to make practice a couple times a week, but every Thursday we have a character development session. Um, I address the JV team during their pregame meal on Thursday afternoon and then immediately go out to the varsity practice field and talk to them, uh, and it's topics that the coaches and I agree upon, but that primarily have come from our outline. So, so that's where it is. It was just literally reaching out and, you know, this guy was, uh, willing and, and vulnerable enough to say, yeah, come on, let's, let's do it. So why is it important to you or what was your passion for teaching this to young men? Well, I, you know, as I said, you know, being a guy who looks in the mirror and sees somebody who's deeply flawed, who's made a lot of mistakes, and who, as I think I said on our last podcast, was an angry, lost young man, um, boy, um, my hope is that I'm able to just share some of the things that I've learned over the years through the mistakes that I've made and the mentors that I have with the next generation. You know, it's an opportunity to give back. 
And I don't think that we do a good job in this country helping boys become men. I think by and large, we've, we've uh, done away with a lot of the rites of passage uh, that, that men in society need. I think that we don't do enough as mentors uh, through our ability to coach. And uh, I was taught about seven or eight years ago by a guy named Joe Ehrman. Uh, the book was Season of Life. Um, that manhood, there's a crisis in manhood uh, in this country. And I think it transcends race and socioeconomic status. I think that we are doing a horrible job helping boys become men. And so, and I know that again from experience. I'm not a preacher. Uh, you know, I'm a guy who has made those mistakes. And I know that when I was in this or in the shoes of these young men, that I was falling for society and culture's definitions of what it meant to be a man, and I was making more mistakes than I care to admit. So that was going to be my next question for you. So, you know, all over the place we see and hear the term be a man. You know, like mm. I, I watched the show Shark Tank, and on one of the episodes, one of the inventors started crying, and one of the guys said to him, be a man, stop crying, you know. And you hear that be a man all the time. <clears throat> you know, I can equate it to when you were growing up and you had to watch your siblings. Yeah. You know, or just in general, somebody saying, hey, be a man. Yeah. You know, what does that term mean to you? It makes me cringe, number one, when used in the wrong context. Um, and I'll share with you a story uh, that I recently posted on Facebook, and that is I was at Gettysburg. Uh, college up in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and I was at a lacrosse tournament. I was coaching my youngest son's team, and we had just finished a game, and I found it was extremely hot out, but I had one of those folding chairs, and I had some water, and, you know, lathering on the sun, you know, sunscreen, and found this, literally, uh, I found a spot underneath a shade tree. Sounds like a country song, right? And so I unfolded the chair, and I sat down, and I grabbed my water bottle, and I got my sunscreen on, and I, you know, got all settled, and no sooner that I got settled, about five seconds later, from somewhere about five yards to my left, I heard a father yell at the top of his lungs at his son who was playing, come on, be a man. And I immediately thought to myself, what the hell does lacrosse have to do with being a man? What do points on a scoreboard or stats in a book or trophies on the, on the wall have to do with being a man? And what I was taught by Joe Ehrman is they have nothing to do with being a man. And so I think that we abuse and misuse that, those three words over and over and over again in our society. I hear it every time I watch the NFL, you know, pregame. Um, I hear it with the commentators. I hear it, you know, I mean, everywhere you go, we have the wrong definition of manhood. And one of the things that I've shared with some of the kids, and I won't, I won't use their last name, um, even though they know that I've shared their story, but... You know, a guy that we served through Wounded Warrior Project, we'll call him Matthew, um, you know, he was, as, he was society's definition of a man. I mean, he was uh, fit and tough and strong, and he was deployed to the combat zone in Iraq. And, I mean, he, he was he's one of those definitions, big, strong, tough, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. Well, just so happened that he took a bullet through his spinal column, and he has been relegated to a... Uh, wheelchair as a quadriplegic for the better part of the last, oh, I don't know, 10 years. And he has limited use of his left arm. Um, is he less of a man today than he was the day before he got shot? 
And I asked the kids that question and they're like, well, we never thought of it that way. And I'm like, sports is an uneven playing field, right? So if I judge your manhood based on your ability to put a ball in a hoop or to, you know, stop a puck, then if you're not bigger, faster, stronger, or gifted genetically, by definition, you're probably not going to be quote unquote, a great man. And so what we do is we take that and we throw it in the trash. We put it on its ear and we say, we're going to give you a coherent definition of what it means to be a man. And then we're going to build on it. Because I would argue that people that have gone through difficulties in life, like severe burns, I mean, we, we, you know, how many guys we know with severe burns, amputations, uh, paralysis, uh, post-traumatic stress, uh, you know, all of the things. And, and I'm not talking just in the military. I'm talking military, civilian, you name it. You go through those difficult um, experiences. What makes you a man is how you react to those, how you deal with them. Uh, it's not whether or not you're 6'2", 220 pounds, and you can stop a running back you know, from getting the edge. I mean, it, it's And until we get that message across to our kids, they're going to be climbing a ladder only to realize that it's leaning up against the wrong building. So it's one of my favorites. I see what you did there. Um, when you start to have this conversation uh, with, these young, with these young men, what is the reaction? Have, have you noticed that any of them had heard any of these messages before? You know, it's mixed. Um, I, you know, I, I'd love to sit up in front, of, in front of you guys and say, yeah, everybody that sits there in the audience thinks that I walk on water and that the mis- message is pristine and it's divinely inspired. The reality is, depending on the week, depending on the message, depending on what happened to that kid that day in class or what's going on at home or whether he failed a test or broke up with his girlfriend, they may hear the message differently. And that's why it's important to continue to reinforce it, right? You don't stop teaching just because the student's not listening. You keep teaching and you keep reinforcing it. And then you give different experiences to help reinforce and supplement and complement the message. But to get to your question, sometimes I look at the kids as they're sitting around and, you know, there's a lot of blank stares. And then sometimes you see kids that are like, they, they can't sit still because you've struck a nerve. And then other times kids are brought to tears because again, more than anything, sometimes sharing this message is literally just showing them that it's okay. You're not the only one who doesn't know what it means to be a man. You're not the only one who's five, four and a buck 20 trying to stop a 220 pound running back. You know what I mean? And so it, again, if, if you, if you, if you don't give them permission or if you don't show them that you're not different, you're not unique, you know, you're the same as I was, we just look differently or we're experiencing different things. Until you get to the point where you can share that with them, these kids are just, they put a mask on every day. So, I feel there may be times when you might not even know if you've reached a kid or not. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and then it might be something where maybe down the line you realize that the last time you talked about the one kid who wrote to that yeah. Yeah. Uh, email. Yep. Um, so are you giving specific, is it just knowledge that you're dropping on the kids or is it specific examples or stories or personal experiences that you're sharing with them? For me, the, the ones that I'm the most comfortable sharing are personal experiences. And again, they most more, more often than not, they go back to mistakes that I've made when I was in their shoes or, you know, at some other point in time, but we also use some current events, you know, so we talk about what's going on on the news. Um, even though I take everything I see on the news with a grain of salt, you know, the topics are the things that we want to explore. Um, you know, and so 
again, you're also talking about high school kids in a school setting. So you, you've got to pick and choose how far you want to go, what lines you want to cross or not cross. Uh, but by and large, I mean, it, you know, it, I'm going to get off on a, on a tangent here for a second, though. We assume that kids aren't ready when more often than not, they're not only ready, but they've already gone down that path and they've gotten misinformation. And so more often than not, when we decide not to address the topics, we actually make the problem worse. So there's very few th there are very few things that I won't talk about, but I also have to be respectful of the setting that I'm in. So, so we, have, we have a few questions from our live studio audience. Um, and I think one of them speaks to kind of how we started with be a man, those three words. Why is there so much pressure to man up? Pooh, man, I, I, I don't know that I can give you a coherent answer to that other than, you know, we're constantly comparing ourselves, you know, always. And part of that is, I'm sure, genetic or innate. Part of that's society, you know. It's, and so I'll share with what, you. What were the rites of passage that you were referring to when you said rites of passage earlier on? Well, that, I, that probably takes us down a little bit of a side, okay. you know, or, or a, a rabbit hole because I just don't think that we... You know, if, if you're on a team, you go through rites of passage, tryouts, cuts, making varsity, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of kids don't get, they're not blessed enough to be able to do that. Uh, if you're not involved in those type of activities, oftentimes you, you're not allowed, to, you know, you, you're not afforded an opportunity to do that. Um, you know, I'm talking about all the way, everything from tribal cultures to the Native Americans to where you have to go out and prove yourself by overcoming different rites of passage. And I think more often than not, we're coddling our kids. We're not allowing them to fail. We're not allowing them to go through those rites of passage. Um, and, and I talked with a buddy of mine a couple of days ago about failing forward. You know, so it's okay to fail. Failure is rarely fatal. Um, but it's, it, we, well, more often than not, we don't let these kids do that. We coddle them. Um, but going back to what we talk about with being a man, the, the, the first thing we do is tell them what it doesn't mean to be a man, right? So, and it's, first of all, you shock the kids into a little bit of awareness and say, you've been lied to, right? You've been lied to culture, society, in some cases, your family, your friends, maybe your own father, uncles, um, certainly TV, the internet, movies, whatever, they've lied to you. They've led you to believe that being a man in our society means success in the bedroom. In other words, the, the ability to, to basically dominate or, um, you know, be successful with the women uh, in the boardroom, you know, or the billfold. In other words, success professionally. Uh, and then on the ball field. And so if you're a great athlete, you're, you must be a great man. More often than not, when you're successful in one of those three areas, it's actually hindered your growth as a man. And it masks all kind of insecurities and failures. And so the first thing we tell them is those B's are lies. Bedroom, billfold, ball field, in some cases working with wounded warriors, battlefield. You know, that means that you're financially successful. That means that you have a pretty girlfriend or a hot wife. That means you got a fast car or a big house. That means you got a great business. That means that you're a hell of an athlete. It doesn't mean you're a man. It doesn't make you a great man. Because if you take it on the flip side, if I'm not successful in those areas, am I less of a man? And so then you'd have to ask the question, well, what if you're a teacher or a cop or a fireman and you don't live oceanfront and you don't drive the Maserati? You know, does that make you less of a man? The guy who gets shot through the neck and who's confined to a wheelchair, is he less of a man? So we tell them what it's not and then we give them the definition of what it is. And that's where the whole curriculum starts to take shape 
where we work with them week after week and during practices and on text messages and, you know, emails and phone calls and, you know, when you bump into them at Publix or Starbucks or, you know, whatever. So. How do you get to those topics to discuss with these young men? How do your topics evolve? Sure. So the, the first one for me was, again, you come in and, and you give them an eye opener and you say, hey, you've been lied to. And then each week for me was then introducing the definition. So the, you know, the first week we dispelled the societal and cultural definitions. Week two, the first component of being a man is relationships, the ability to love and be loved. So we introduced the L word, right? And so then you have to make sure that the kids understand. We're not talking about the you know, physical love. We're talking about the willingness to, to do for others, to be a man built for others, um, to go into situations asking what's in it from me instead of what's in it for me. Um, loving without limits or expectations. That was kind of, that was another phrase that we threw out at the kids and they're kind of like, well, what did he just say? You know, love without limits or expectations. And so we just talk through what, the, what does that mean? What does that mean as a teammate? What does that mean as a son? What does it mean as a father? What does it mean as a husband? Um, and so that's the first component is the quality of the relationships you have. And you guys know, I mean, we, we used to talk about that at work. I don't think that you have to be different at home or at, at, you know, on the team than you do in the, uh, you know, in the office. And then the second component is commitment to a cause greater than self. And, and when you're talking to kids on a team, that's easy, right? The success of the team, you know, make, doing one more rep, making the extra pass, scooping the ground ball and getting it to the goal scorer, uh, making that key block so that the running back can score the touchdown. So that's easy. But then what we talked about with the kids was when you leave the team, now what? Because if you're anything like me, you leave that locker room, number one, you're going to leave a piece of your soul in that locker room and on that field, and it's going to create a void. So a lot of guys fill that void with, with bad things, drinking, drugs, misogyny, uh, breaking the law, whatever it is. And so that's where I'm hoping that some of this will get plant the seed to say, you're not going to be a high school football player forever. You're not going to be a college lacrosse player forever. And when you're not, what are you going to fill that void with? And hopefully it's a cause greater than self. And then the final component of the three is living by a code of conduct. And that's going to vary for, for different you know, people. And part of that is if you're really able to get into it, you create your own values, your own core values, and then you try to live by them. And so I shared with the kids some of the things that are important to me, and then we go from there. So you spoke about a code of conduct, and earlier, prior to starting this, you had told us about a story about the two words that you don't allow to be said. Yeah. <clears throat> Would you mind telling us that story? Yeah, it, and again, I apologize in advance because it's a long one, but a, a good friend of mine uh, one of the most successful uh, attorneys in North Florida, arguably the state of Florida, um, he has said to me year in, year in and year out a, a, a saying that I've never forgotten. And it's, it's something that I've now tried to share with the kids. Um, inappropriate behavior is, by definition, inappropriate. So we use the concept of what we call revolving integrity with the guys, with the, with the players. And that means... My integrity, the way I treat you, the structure on which I, I live, you know, the, the foundation of, of my, uh, my you know, structure is the same whether I'm talking to the president of the United States or the homeless guy on the street corner. 
you know, my integrity is doing for somebody who can do nothing for me in return. And that just because that's the right thing to do. Different than honor, which is not lying, cheating, or, st or stealing, but integrity, being sound in the way that you treat people and how you conduct yourself. And so we talk about that revolving integrity uh, as being very important. And then we, we take that a step further by saying, if you're a man built for others, then inappropriate behavior is by definition inappropriate, right? So it doesn't matter the setting. It doesn't matter whether I'm with my buddies or whether there's a woman in the room or, again, the President of the United States walks in the door. I am the same no matter the circumstance. And so one of the topics that we uh, addressed about a week ago was the inappropriate behavior and use of two, what I consider to be two very, very incendiary words. The N-word, and I think we all know what that means, and the F-word. Not the four-letter F-word, but the homophobic slur, Right. And so the first thing, and this goes back to not preaching to the kids, but sharing with them vulnerably and transparently, I shared with them an exchange that I had with a classmate of mine uh, when I was in college. We were sitting on the stoop, you know, a couple of steps, just kind of shooting the breeze one night, and we finished the conversation. We were all getting ready to walk up the steps and walk through the door, and I patted him on the back and said, let's go, my N-word. And he stopped dead in his tracks two steps above me and all six foot six inch inches of him. He was a power forward on the basketball team. And he turned around and looked me square in the eye and said, don't ever say that again. I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. You know, I had a bunch of black friends in high school and my two best friends were black guys. You know, they would call me that. I would call that. He's like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't care. Again, revolving integrity, no matter the circumstance. And so what Bobby said to me changed my life you know, 20 some years ago, because he, he taught me that that was not okay. And so we shared that with the, with, the, with the team and basically said, it doesn't matter whether you think it's funny or whether you're a comedian or a rapper or a poet or, you know, they're your boys. It's not okay. Inappropriate behavior is by definition inappropriate. And so it was a real eye opener for a lot of the, the kids because again, in their teens or whatever, they don't think through not only what effect does that have on the, the young black kids, young African-American kids that are in your presence, but what it says to those that are listening and, and they're watching you and they're hearing you. Now you've given them permission to conduct themselves inappropriate, inappropriately or to behave inappropriately. And the second pillar to that was the use of the F word. And, um, you know, I had a, a, a coach once that yelled at a kid and used that word in such a derogatory manner because he was challenging his courage as an athlete. And, and, I, and I didn't have the courage to confront that coach at the time. And, and I'm not proud of that. You know, I let it go. I wasn't the head coach. I thought no big, you know, well, I didn't say no big deal, but I thought that is ridiculous, but it's not my team. I was new, you know, all the excuses, right? But the, the, the fact of the matter is I didn't have the courage to correct that behavior. The saddest part about that exchange is it wasn't the kid he was yelling at, but one of the kids on the team recently identified as being gay. He was on the field that night in practice. What must have been going through that kid's mind when he listened to his head coach, who was supposed to be his safety, you know, his guy, what must have been going through his head when he heard that coach say that? And did that delay his ability to come out years later? Or did that cause him to have second doubts about himself? Um, and so I, sh you know, I've thought about that for years and that's one of the messages we tried to share with the kids. Um, 
Now, letting you know, um, I guess, two positives that have come out of that. And again, this is self-serving to share with you, but I wrote my buddy Bobby an apology letter uh, about 20-some years later. And in classic Bobby fashion, he accepted it with grace and dignity. Uh, basically said he never questioned my character then or now. Uh, didn't really even remember the exchange. And again, he, he, he gave me the gift of forgiveness. And then the kid who was on the field who recently identified uh, himself as homosexual, I called him. I, I didn't, he didn't answer, but we ended up exchanging voicemails. And I told him, I love you. I'm proud of you. And I'm here for you. Um, mostly because in my own little small way, I wanted to correct some of that cowardice and fear that I displayed seven, eight years ago by not stepping up for that kid in the moment, but also to let him know, I'm here for you, I love you, and I care about you. So So you said the two words, the N-word and the F-word. Yep. Right? And and having played sports before, um, tempers flare, frustrations, people are being competitive, and they could just go back revert back to old habits and, and do those things. So how are students reacting to this mm. when you're talking about this? Well, there was two things uh, that happened. First of all, the, the topic of inappropriate behavior and the fact that the N-word is unacceptable, um, part of it came, like I said, from my own experience. This has been on my heart. It's been something I've wanted to share with the guys for a while. It just so happened that a week ago Friday, there was a kid on an opposing team, an offensive lineman, who was a white kid, who was on an offensive line with three or four black kids. And this white kid, and I laugh because I, I, it's almost like, it's so bizarre that you can't even, like I still don't understand how this happens. He's playing against our school, which is predominantly white. And he is dropping N-bombs like it's candy at a parade. I mean, this guy is throwing them out there, not, doesn't care who it's hitting, right? And our guys are, they don't know what to say. And, and he's not getting in their head. They're just like, we don't even know, like, how is he getting away with this? Was this before or after you had the conversation? This was before the conversation. This is one of the things that, you know, yeah. And I was like, and I didn't really know what to say to the kids other than, well, I hope to God you're not responding in kind. And they're like, no, 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 coach, we're, you know, we're not. We just, we don't even know what to say to the guy. We, we, there's a part of us that feels sorry for him. And again, they're like, what must his teammates think? Um, and so that was one of the things that caused us you know, to have the conversation. Um, and then, you know, in general, you know, the locker room can be a real dangerous place. And we want to make sure that our guys know that's not okay. It's not okay on the practice field. It's not okay in the locker room. Um, it's just, it's inappropriate behavior. So what, you, you, what was the question? Did I answer that question, by the way, Jay? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, but you just threw me off on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, when you're delivering your content, for the, the N-word, the F-word um, session that you had with the, with the student-athletes, uh, what kind of questions are you getting back? What kind of response are you getting back immediately? Yeah, I'm sorry. That's, you, you had asked that. And so that was one of those things where you teach right in the moment, mm -hmm. right? We're, we're, it's Friday night. Our guys are battling. This dude's using inappropriate language and, and behavior, and you, you make sure that the kids understand that that's, that's unacceptable. When we ended up delivering this content, I was shocked at the number of kids who came up to me after the fact. And, you know, every once in a while, you, 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 you touch on a topic. And I always tell the kids, look, if you think anything I said is BS, you have the right and the responsibility to challenge me. Whether you want to do it in front of the group or, you know, pull me aside, we can, let's talk. You know, because I want you to make me better. Um, in this case, we delivered the content and probably 15 of the kids came up to me 
None, it was all white kids, by the way. Our African-American kids didn't come up to me after this particular speech, but they came up and said, thank you. They've never heard that that's not okay, right? And you would think, because I guess, you know, being an adult and having lived through a different time, you would think that the assumption is the N-word is not okay or the F-word is not okay. But they're not, nobody's telling them that. And if they are, I don't think they're doing it effectively because it's everywhere, and, when, and I told the kids, I said, when you drop the last three letters of the F word, it doesn't make it okay. When you put an A at the end of the N word, it doesn't make it okay. Just because you and I are boys, it doesn't make it okay. Inappropriate behavior by definition is inappropriate. And if, you're, if, if your integrity is revolving, it's in, and it's, it doesn't change. And so I had one kid come up to me after the fact, the one that came up to me on Friday night, and he literally was like, coach, thank you so much for addressing that. Um, and that, that's when you know they're starting to get it. You know, that's when you know they're starting to get it. So, Can you talk about the revolving integrity concept really quick? In, in what? Just in, in, for somebody that may hear revolving integrity, what does he mean by revolving integrity? Yeah, but revolving, in other words, think of 360 degrees. You know, no matter where I am, no matter which way I'm pointing, my, I am who I am. Um, versus situational integrity, right? So it's okay to treat you poorly if you can't do anything for me, right? It's okay to treat you poorly if I'm the coach and you're the player. Or it's okay to treat you poorly if I'm the boss and you're the worker. It's okay to treat you poorly if I'm the CEO and you're the executive vice president. The answer is no, it's not. It's not. If you're a man built for others, your integrity is the same no matter what direction, no matter who the audience. It's not situational. I don't act one way when I have an opportunity to cheat on my wife. I don't act one way when I have an opportunity to cheat on my taxes. I don't act one way when I, you know, and, and it goes on and on. And again, those are what I would consider to be, that's honor. But the situational, you know, uh, integrity means I would look the other way. If, you know, I think that the, the playing field is broken or the government screwed up or, you know, my wife doesn't treat me the way I want to be treated or the coach doesn't give me playing time, I can act a certain way. No, you can't. Inappropriate behavior is by definition inappropriate. And now I also am not stupid enough to believe that we live in a fully black and white world, right? There is a lot of gray out there and there are things that you have to make your decisions, right? And every decision has a consequence, either good or bad. Um, but I think more often than not, we think it's okay. I, I can do that here because of the person that I'm dealing with or the situation or the circumstance. And the reality is that's not the way it should be. Is that one of the things that you teach your kids that, you know, in the locker room and on the team is that there are gray areas and if you do, what are the things that you tell them? Do you, tell them no matter what you stand by your integrity and your character even if certain things could come of a situation well that's a hard one uh for me to answer because you know you are talking about kids and so you also want to make sure that first and foremost you do no harm right so i i don't want to put a kid in a position where he has to act like an adult and you know there are going to be times where you know, somebody uses the wrong word or treats a person a certain way, you would like to think that a man built for others would stand up on behalf of the person being oppressed. On the other hand, I don't want our kids, I don't want my friends, I don't want my, my own children 
to be put in a position necessarily where they're at risk. So, and, and, and in that case, you have to kind of weigh the circumstances of what you're asking of these kids. But no matter what, you want to make sure that they understand that there is more often than not a right and a wrong. And so uh, it's not okay to cheat. It's not okay to lie. It's not okay to treat people poorly. Uh, it's, it's not okay that, you know, you have to lose for me to win. You know, those kind of concepts of, uh, again, being a man built for others. So I don't know if that answered the question, but. Yeah. So situation, a uh, student comes to you and says that uh, they, obviously they, they listened to your message and they wanted to go and apologize for something that they, maybe they had done um, based on what they heard you speak about and they feel badly about using the N-word, using the F-word, uh, maybe mistreating a girlfriend or something along those lines. Uh, how do you help that student navigate that situation? A couple of years ago, we had a player when I was coaching at the college level uh, and I, I pulled him aside one day because I could just tell something wasn't right and and so i asked him you know well, what's going on you know what and it was more it wasn't just that he wasn't playing well there was just you could just read it right you could see that the kid was not he wasn't himself so we're after practice one day we go <clears throat> sit on the side of the field and i just start asking him questions and it comes back to um his girlfriend is now at a civilian or at a different college. I almost said civilian, but we weren't at the <laughs> academy. Uh, she's at a different college, and he's hearing rumors that you know she's sleeping around and you know not acting right. And he apparently sent her some really negative, judgmental, inappropriate uh, texts. You know, talking about her uh, in in a, in a way that you just shouldn't talk about a woman. Um, and so, and he was struggling with that because he he really regretted it. And so I said to him, well, have you apologized yet? And he kind of looked at me like, well, what do you mean? I was like, have you apologized? Well, but coach, you know, she did this and she did this and she did. And I'm like, I didn't ask you about her. You can't control what she does or what she did. You can control what you do. And if you treated her poorly, if you treated her with less than respect and dignity, you owe her an apology. Well, but she cheated on me. And she, I said, you're missing the point. It's not about her. It's about you. So have you apologized to her yet? And finally, it wasn't during that conversation. The second time we got together, he said, you know, I've been thinking a lot about what you said about apologizing to her. And I said, again, man, I'm not, we're not talking about what she did. We're just talking about what you did. He goes, no, coach, I hear you, and I think I want to do that. And I was like, okay, well, let's do it then. He's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, write her a letter. Well, you know, I, I don't want to put it in writing. I was like, no, I get it, right? You don't know where that's going to be, you know, the screenshots or, you know, somebody putting it out on social media blast or whatever. I'm like, but why don't you do what Abraham Lincoln did? And of course, then he looks at me like, what is this guy talking about? And I'm like, write the letter, put a stamp on it, address it, seal it, and then throw it in the trash or burn it. He goes, well, why would I write the letter? I'm like, trust me, the exercise works. <laughs> you know, I've been there before. And so he did. You know, he wrote an apology letter to his ex-girlfriend. Again, she wasn't without fault, but that's not what we were talking about. And he just apologized for talking and treating, talking to and treating her inappropriately. Um, and he came back to me and said that it really was therapeutic for him. And so that, that's one tool, you know, that we've used. The other one is when you can, go apologize to somebody, you know, and if you can't, call them. And if you can't call them, message them or text them or Facebook them or whatever the hell it is. But more often than not, we tell people, don't apologize. You know, don't reach out and, and, and correct past wrongs. 
Um, and the reality is the person who refuses to po- apologize is the one that has to carry that burden. Um, and so that's something that, again, I haven't gotten into that so much yet this fall, but in the past with some of our lacrosse players and some of our college guys specifically, it's, you know, part of being a man is accepting responsibility and you can't accept responsibility if you're not willing to admit your own mistakes. Within that message, did you talk about, uh, being able to accept an apology as well? Yeah, that's one of the most underrated things. You know, when you've been wronged and somebody has the courage to apologize to you, not accepting that apology. Um, again, I can't, pa- I am not in a position to pass judgment uh, on anybody. Uh, but I think that you are in a very special state of grace when you're able to accept an apology. You know, and before we turned the mics on, we were you know, talking about that young kid who forgave his mother's murderer in South Carolina. Um, and, you know, during that horrific shooting and, you know, I, again, I've never experienced anything anywhere close to that, but if that young man can, can light the path of forgiveness, I think we could all learn quite a bit from it, from him. So you're working with a football team now and within the NFL, obviously we've watched television and, and, uh, paid attention to the social media and everything that's going on with the Colin Kaepernick situation. How did you guys navigate that as a coaching staff? Well, we didn't have to deal with that issue from the standpoint of our guys uh, that I know of. And again, I'm not there every day, but I don't think that we were in a spot where our guys were considering uh, following that same line of protest. Um, But we did use that as an example in our discussions um, when we talked about living by a code of conduct. And one of the principles that I try to uh, live by is empathy. Uh, in other words, feeling with somebody, not necessarily for somebody, but feeling with them, trying to put yourself in their shoes. And I think that one of the, the things to be learned from this, and, and let me be clear, you know, my brother's a cop, my brother-in-law's a cop, you know, I was in the army, my dad was in the army, and my grandfather was in the army, you know, I stand at attention with my thumb behind the middle seam of my trousers and my right hand over my heart. You know, I, I often tear up during the national anthem. I love this country, everything that it stands for. I love the fact that we live and breathe safely under a blanket of freedom that was provided us by men and women in uniform and first responders. So I don't want anybody to misinterpret what I'm saying in this situation. But rather than blatantly criticize Colin Kaepernick for what he chose to do, I simply asked our guys to try to put themselves in his shoes. What pain is he experiencing that would cause him to put himself in this situation from the standpoint of being willing to risk? And some would say, well, he's a backup quarterback. He's not risking anything. That's crap. The guy put himself out there. Whether you agree with him or disagree with him, he put himself out there. And so I'm trying to figure out what is the pain that's going on in that man's heart that would put him in a situation where he feels like he needs to kneel during the national anthem? Um, again, it doesn't mean I have to agree with it. It doesn't mean I have to like it. But until I seek to understand, who am I to judge? And I think more often than not, a lot of the problems that we have is that we judge people. And so I challenge the kids. I'm like, forget about Colin Kaepernick for a second. What about the kid in class that you've judged that you know nothing about? What about the fat kid? What about the nerd? What about the poor kid? What about the black kid? What about the Jewish kid? What, what about the kid, fill in the blank, fill in the descriptor that you've already judged because you haven't exercised empathy. You haven't tried to live in their shoes or to feel with them. 
And, and part of that is you want the kids not to be mean and mean-spirited, but here's the other thing. It's selfish. Because if I can get to know those kids, imagine how much richer my life is going to be. Because more often than not, our kids don't do that. They don't reach out to the kids sitting alone in the lunchroom. You know, there was a story a couple of weeks ago about a Florida State player who went up to a kid. They were doing a school visit. And he went up to a kid and sat with him. And I think the kid had autism. And they made a big story about that, which I thought was great. Um, we've been doing that at our high school with our lacrosse program for eight years. You're not allowed to sit alone in the lunchroom. Now, we've had players go up to somebody and say, hey, can I sit with you? And they're like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> you know? So you got to be careful. Again, you do no harm first, but that's something that we've been employing for years, um, which again will take me down yet another tangent because those kinds of things happen all the time with our athletes, especially our young African-American athletes. We just don't talk about them. We talk about beating our wives and girlfriends and DUIs and embezzlement and fraud. We don't talk about the positives. I was watching something on Sunday, and I think it was the Tennessee Titans, and this big freaking linebacker comes through the tunnel, and there's this little boy waving to every one of the players, and this linebacker kneels down, picks the boy up, and carries him through the tunnel. The linebacker was an African-American guy. The boy was a little white kid, and that to me is the norm but we don't hear about the norm. We hear about all of the, you know, the outliers. And I think it's unfortunate. So anyway, going back to it, that those are some of the things that we talk about, you know, with the kids. Okay. I was going to, did you have any questions about the kids? I was just going to ask as a coach and working with other coaches, did you, <clears throat> excuse me, did you talk about what if like the kids want to, follow suit of what Colin Kaepernick did? No, no, we didn't. We haven't had that conversation. Yeah. And, and honestly, you know, I, I have my opinions about how we would handle that, which may surprise some people, but, um, that would be one of those, you know, decisions that, you know, I would defer to the head coach on that one. Again, I'm not trying to not, you know, I don't want to put myself out there. Um, I would, I, I believe in the right to free speech. Sometimes you may disagree with it, but I believe in it. And so I would tend to allow that to happen. Um, I'm not in a position to allow that to happen, but I, I don't think that stifling that kind of freedom for kids, as long as it's not disruptive, you know, to school or, you know, I, I think that those things are okay. How much feedback are you getting from, if any, from the parents of these students? Well, it, so far we haven't really done a whole lot of communication with the parents as a group. And so more often than not, what I get are the one-offs with, with some of the parents. Um, now with the football program, I don't know a lot of the kids. I've just met them in the last six weeks or so. And so I also, by association, don't know their parents that well. But I've run into probably a half a dozen parents. So far, it's been moms primarily. Um, and they've all said that, you know, we're striking a chord with their boys. And so that, that's been great. With the lacrosse programs, it's a whole different story because my children have played the game and I know the parents and I know the coaches and, you know, we've been doing it for several years. And so, um, you know, I, I've, I've been blessed to, to learn from and, and interact with a lot of moms and dads through lacrosse who are very thankful. Um, and one of the exercises we did probably five years ago is we actually bought the book Season of Life for the whole program. And I asked them to bring it home and read it. And of course, the last thing an athlete wants is a homework assignment, right? But a lot of the kids brought the book home and read it 
And then I asked them when they did, give it to your dad or give it to your mom. And so then they were able to have conversations at home um, that in some cases we still talk about today. So yeah, it's pretty cool. How much opportunity have you had to use this curriculum with adults? So we talked about kind of the, the coaching within the high schools or in colleges. Um, how much of this have you been able to use maybe with executives or, or leaders in, in, in different fields? Yeah, I mean, at work, we didn't necessarily have the outline and the curriculum in the same way. But, you know, I, my adapted style, you know, the old DISC assessments, my adapted style is my natural style. So I don't know how to be different at work than I am at home or on the, you know, the field. So I, I don't know that I, I would say relationships a cause greater than self and living by a code of conduct has been put on a poster and slapped up on the wall at work, but it's, it's kind of the undercurrent uh, of, of everything that we've done. Uh, you know, I've been a big, uh, Lencioni, uh, and Collins disciple. And so, you know, with the five dysfunctions of a team and the good to great model, I think that this blends perfectly with it. Um, because it all comes down to relationships, whether it's trust, conflict, commitment, accountability, results, the flywheel, level five leaders, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It all comes back down to people um, and the, the willingness to invest in those people and, and the relationships and what's in it from me. How can I help you? Um, that to me is the foundation for everything, um, whether it's as an executive or as a coach. Uh, and then the commitment to a cause greater than self. I mean, when you're at a, you had a big nonprofit that serves people. That's, that's, again, it's almost like being on a team. It's easy, you know, because you've got such a pure, beautiful mission. When you're at work, I think that the challenge is how do I balance the need for profit and shareholder returns with a mission? You know, I sold musical instruments for 11 years. Never once did I think that my instruments were making someone's life better. And so I cheated myself for 11 years. I never tied those two things together. I just thought I was selling a commodity. Um, and so I look back on it now and I think, well, number one, it would have been nice to look at the mission and how those musical instruments were making the world a better place through those musicians, those kids. And that's the challenge now going forward. How do you see the beauty of the mission in what you're doing? And again, making a profit is not a bad thing. You know, doing it the right way is, is ideal, but you can make a nice profit and run a business and lead an executive team or a sales team but you can care about people. You can invest in those relationships and that mission and that cause greater than self. And by all means, you can live by a code of conduct. I mean, I know that we've talked about it, but why is this so important to you? You know, I, I think... It's going to continue to push you to continue to do this for the rest of your years. I... Again, you know, I've said... I, I've, I feel like that I'm a flawed individual and that I've made a lot of mistakes and I want to do everything I can to help whomever I can avoid those mistakes. And it's, this is my cause. You know, this is trying to make players better, trying to make executives better, trying to make coaches better. Um, and not from the standpoint of taking credit for it because they're the ones that have to do all the work. It's just being the conduit or being the messenger. Um, I don't, I, I, I said on the last you know, podcast that we did. I, I don't remember that anybody was saying this to me when I was, you know, in high school and college and as a young man. And if they were, I wasn't listening. <laughs> you know, they may have been selling, but I wasn't buying. Um, that's all I'm trying to do. You know, that that's it is just trying to give back and help some of these kids 
you know, and we talk about be a man, but there's, there's a, a woman side of this too. There's a be a woman side of this. And you know, what that is, is you don't have to be pretty and filled with makeup and, you know, defer to the man you know, all that stuff. You know, you don't have to be Cinderella waiting for your Prince Charming. Um, you can invest in relationships that cause greater than self and living by a code of conduct. So I, I talk to my daughter about this just as quickly or just as easily as I do my sons. It just so happens that I coach boys and, and men's sports. So, uh, but they're, they're equally valuable. The principles are the same. Have you ever given an apology that was not accepted? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I reached out to a father um, of a kid that we let go for, for a lot of reasons um, and on three separate occasions um, offered you know, an apology and or an olive branch and was uh, not only was it not accepted, but then it was, you know, it was the punch, the, the, the butt of, of, of a, a lot of jokes in the local community. And, and that, that's, that, that hurts. I mean, that, I'd like to say, oh, yeah, you know, you get over it. It's easy. No big deal. The reality is it hurts. And you think about it, and, um, and it's just one of those things. I wouldn't change it, though. I think we made the right decision that started, you know, the anger. Um, again, for a lot of reasons that I won't go into ever again. But we made the decision that we felt we needed to make. And I think that offering the olive branch slash, and again, I, was a, I wasn't apologizing for the decision. I was apologizing for the fact that we had gotten to the point where we couldn't communicate. Um, and to have that not accepted is bothersome, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. I would still extend that olive branch, extend that apology, because I think that it's the right thing to do. So after the football season, where do you take your, your content? Where do you take your curriculum? How do you get it out there? Well, part of it is taking it to work. You know, working uh, with the company I'm with now, we've got 11 independent companies that are, um, you know, trying to work more effectively together. So I have, uh, I hope to be able to bring this kind of um, content to my teammates there. I've also, um, I'll, you know, lacrosse season starts in January, so there's no rest for the, the weary. Uh, we'll hopefully make a deep run in football that'll take us into November, if not the end of November, and then lacrosse is the end of January. And then I've, I've recently made contact with an organization that, that does this type of thing. Um, and so being able to work with college teams and um, spread this message uh, is something that I hope to be able to do on a part-time basis as well. So you had mentioned bringing it to where you are now and 11 different companies. In my eyes, I almost see it easier dealing with young men or kids when you're trying to make a point or build them, what kind of roadblocks do you see in dealing with adults and trying to get them to change their mindset or the way that they look at them? Well, it, I think you, you guys saw this, you know, when we were working together, if, if, if the people are willing, you know, if their minds and their hearts are open, it's not hard. You know, if you have a champion at the, the highest level in whatever organization you're dealing with who says this is important to us, then that really gives you the permission to play. Um, there are going to be skeptics. Not again, not everybody's buying, and not everybody buys into what we're talking about here. Um, those are people that, are, and again, I'm not going to judge them. That's the way they want to live their life. I lived my life that way for a long time, where I didn't think about other people. I didn't think about what's in it from me. I thought about what's in it for me, 
Um, and I was miserable for a long time. You know, it wasn't until I got to the point, which I still struggle with this, by the way, is doing something for someone else without the expectation of return. That is not, that's easy. That's a nice tagline. It's easier said than done because the minute you do for someone and they don't reciprocate, you know, human nature is, well, wait a second, don't you know what I just did for you? Um, and so it's a constant challenge to put your ego in check and do it for all the right reasons. So it's, uh, again, it's not easy. When... <laughs> When you're working, have do you have any sort of um, something professionally that, let's say a milestone, not a milestone, but something that you have not done yet that you want to do? Mm. And also, God, I'm going to stop, I swear. <laughs> Well, I answer the first one. Yeah. No, but like, uh, like a trait that, like, we were talking about character and integrity, and I know that you have that stuff in spades. But do you struggle with any anything like that? You mean from the standpoint of I I make those mistakes? Yeah. All of them. (laughs) All of them. I can tell you, I haven't lied cheated or stolen in an awfully long time but revolving integrity you know and you know the the x put the x mark next to it i mean i failed there um treating the the uh, the guy on the corner of the street like the president failed there um you know have i been structurally sound in in my conduct no i mean i that's part of this as well as you let these the people that you're talking with know it's not perfection you know it's progress and you got to be able to just continue to do the next right thing. And then when you make a mistake, own it, apologize for it, you know, go through the obstacle. Don't try to avoid it. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of that stuff. How do you continue to keep those skills sharp? How do you refine that when you start to stumble? Um, what keeps you, uh, I mean, yeah, like what keeps you in front of it? Um, to be able to continue to speak about it, own it, you know, own it, um, share it. I have, I mean, you guys know my wife and, you know, having somebody like her that's there for me, you know, we're, I'm fully transparent with my wife. So being able to share with her all of the things good and bad. Um, I also have been blessed with a few men in my life that know everything about me everything, my buddy Arthur and my buddy Rick. And then I've got some brothers from the Army Lacrosse program from years ago. Uh, I just don't see them as often. We don't talk as much. But, you know, having people that you're accountable to, you know, having mentors, having a wife that you're fully honest and transparent with, and then owning those mistakes. And But l- let me be clear about something. It's a constant struggle. I mean, it, there's, there's butterflies and there's, you know, that sick to your stomach pregame feeling and there's sleeplessness and there's waking up at four o'clock with your mind, you know, racing. Um, and that to me is just part of the journey. I mean, there's beauty in the struggle and, and it's the struggle to be better tomorrow than I am today. But by, I'm by no means the guy who stands up and says, look at me, 
I mean, if, if you know, you don't want to, you don't want to see what's behind the curtain, you know, I mean, there's, there's plenty of problems and flaws and struggles and whatnot. And so it's, it's acknowledging that it's owning it. It's being vulnerable enough to admit it and transparent enough to admit it. And then trying to, you know, again, offer apologies, make amends, try to correct the wrongs and then learn from it. Don't repeat it, you know, when, whenever you can. So. Is there anything that you wanted to touch on that we didn't get to? Um, I can't, I think we've, I mean, it feels like we've, we've gone over a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, no, I think, um, you know, we talked about dispelling the cultural and societal pressures of what it means to be a man, um, giving the kids and, and anybody else who's interested a tangible definition of what it means to be a man relationships a cause greater than self and living by a code of conduct and and again to me those are those are universal principles they're not just for sports teams you know they that applies to home and the office and you know whatnot so yeah if you had a kid standing in front of you right now who is having a rough time he has a tough home life and maybe he's going down the wrong path and and has trying to do the right thing and at every turn he's getting slapped and slapped and slapped what would your message be to him well I, I guess the first thing would be for them to know that they're not alone um you know i think the again for most of us or most of the people i shouldn't say most of us in generalized the people a lot of the people that i've come across suffer from terminal uniqueness. You know, they think they're the only one, right? Nobody else has ever gone through this or nobody else is as flawed as I am or nobody else is as broken or nobody else has it as bad as I do. When in fact, we're all dealing with something. I don't care who you are. It's, you know, everybody's dealing with struggle. And so I've had kids approach me like that uh, at both the college and the high school level. And I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm just the guy trying to do the next right thing. And so you ask a bunch of questions. Um, you try to dig deeper and figure out what's going on. You know, what's the real root of the issue? If there's anything that you feel puts the kid in danger, then all bets are off. You know, you immediately contact somebody in authority, whether it's the police, the principal, president of the university, the parents, um, you know, we don't, we don't mess with that. Um, but a lot of the other stuff, it's just literally making sure that they know they're not alone. Um, and then trying the best you can to give them your own experience. You know, uh, how, how did you get through again? You don't give advice, you give experience and just see where it takes you. I love the movie Saving Private Ryan. And there's a part in there that gets me every single time when he they show him as an older man mm -hmm. sitting at the graveside and he says was I a good man it gets me every single time so what would without saying that what would you want your legacy to be I don't know that I'm I don't, I'm not really thinking about a legacy and I know that's not a cop out answer. I'm not trying to dodge the question. Um, I'm not worried about my legacy. I'm just literally worried about doing the next right thing. And I, 
you know, I may spend however many days I have left on the earth going out and speaking and working with teams or executive teams or being an executive coach or whatever. And I may not touch one person. I mean, it's doubtful, but you never know. But I'm not going to stop. You know, it's just a matter of trying to share my experience with the next person so that they can hopefully avoid, you know, the mistakes I've made uh, or that it can maybe soften the blow to some extent. But as far as a legacy is concerned, um, I'm really just not, I'm not worried about that. It's, it's, it has to be simpler than that for me. Um, because I think if I start thinking about my legacy, I'm going to start thinking about me and I'm the last person that I need to start to, to think about. So on our last episode with Adam, uh, I know we talked about the word love, uh, quite a bit. And I don't know if we meant if we talked about this story specifically, but if we did, oh, well, I want to talk about it again because I feel that it's important. Um, when Adam and I were working together uh, and he was very much giving, delivering the message that he's talking about today um, and some of what he spoke about on the last episode, he talked about the word love. And when I grew up, the word love just wasn't tossed about like that. I mean, rarely. Even, I mean, even when I traveled miles away when I left to the Marine Corps, uh, it, you just didn't hear it all of the time. Um, and so when I started working with Adam and he started delivering this content and he talked about the word love and, and being able to be receptive to it and also share it with somebody else, uh, it, initially it was off-putting to me because I just couldn't, like, I couldn't get it out. I couldn't, I couldn't get, and I couldn't get it out in like, actually mean it so and then after working with Adam for the period of time that we did uh, I started to understand the word love and, and what it meant and and uh, how to use it and not be afraid to use it I think that might have been some of it is just being afraid to use it and being afraid of what the person on the other side was gonna how they were gonna react because I knew how I was reacting when I heard the word growing up. Um, and nonetheless, to hear from a, a grown man saying it to me, saying that I love you and it's not my dad or somebody in my family. Um, so I wanted to make sure that uh, we talked about that piece, but more specifically, in, I think because I think working with students and the younger kids, they might be a little more receptive and ripe to that message than adults that or in their mid-30s and, and didn't grow up in that kind of environment. Uh, how do you work through that with adults like myself that it just wasn't the norm? Yeah. How do you work through it with great, with great caution, right? <laughs> I mean, as I said, I'm going to be who I'm going to be. And I remember the first time I told, well, for me, it's easier to start by telling a group that you love them because you, you don't want to freak people out. You know, I mean, this is not the norm. This is not what society and culture tells us is the way you should conduct yourself on a lacrosse field or in a boardroom or, you know, uh, on a football field. Well, what does love have to do with any of this? Um, and I just don't, I, after reading the book Season of Life, I just don't buy that anymore. I believe that love is, is a part of who I want to be and what I want to do. And, you know, that's the message that I want to, you know, carry with me for you know, again, as much as I possibly can. 
And so for me, though, I remember the first time I told one of the kids that I loved them, and it was in front of several of the other you know, uh, players, and uh, they didn't respond. And that's okay. I mean, that was okay. Was it awkward? Yeah, sure. I mean, you, you never want to say I love you and you know, get silence back, um, but it was okay. And walk off. This. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and I've said that to um, uh, adults in the workplace or, you know, my old college buddies and some of them. Yeah, man, I love you. Can't wait to see you again. And others, it's like, all right, brother. You know, and it's whatever the whatever that icebreaker needs to be. It's OK. You know, it's OK. I don't need to change me again. It's revolving. You know, I don't need to change me. Now, again, if it really is awkward for somebody, I'm not going to say it over and over again. You know, there are also and we all know them. You know, there's the guy that won't hug you back. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not only just that stupid hand slap, one arm hug that you see all, of, you know, everybody do on TV, which I think is either hug me or don't. <laughs> but then there's the dude that can't even do that without turning half, you know, and it's like, I don't really like this. Don't touch me. So, again, you want to respect people and you want to respect their space. But for me, more often than not, I've found that once you break that initial ice, it's really not an issue. I mean, people are, and again, I, I'm not saying this just because I'm, I'm here sitting across the table from you, but I shared what you said about me when I left um, WWP mm-hmm. and somebody asked me what the greatest thing you accomplished me in, in your time, my time there. And I said it was on my last day that one of my teammates told me that I made it okay for him to say that he loves other people. I said, if I accomplished nothing else with those people and with that mission, that was going to be enough for me. And you, you literally knocked me for a loop because I did not expect that. And I didn't expect it from you. Not that I thought that you ever struggled with that. That wasn't it. I just, you would have, if somebody would have said, what person here do you think you've empowered or helped say, I love you to his teammates? I would have not thought of you. I probably would have thought of one of our female teammates. And that's yet another topic. Well, now I have more questions. Yeah. <laughs> As guys, it's not okay. But women say it all the time, mm-hmm. right? So why should I have to separate my heart from my brain? Why should I have to do that? Just because I'm a guy? Because you don't want me to know or, or you want me to show that side of me? Or does that make me soft? Does that make me a mama's boy? Does that make me less than? Again, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. You know, I love a lot of the men that God has put in my life. And I'm okay with it. You know, so I just refuse to shut that off, which is something that I did for the better part of my first 37 years on the planet. So. You said that you had more questions. No, I was just joking. I, was like, I didn't expect that from you. I was like, well, now I have more questions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You didn't expect it from me. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, but um, I mean, that, I wanted to make sure that we, if we didn't address that fully in the first episode, that we address it again and that we continue to address it anytime that you come on. Well, and, and again, you know, we might as well dig a little deeper into it. You know, love, again, we're not talking about the physical sense. You know, we're talking about the fact that I am going to invest time, effort, and energy in getting to know you. I'm going to invest time, effort, and energy into getting to know what makes you tick. You know, I can love you in the workplace because I know what's going on with you. I know a little bit about your background, where you were raised, how, how, you know, are you your brothers, sisters, parents, Um, You know, I shared this story openly, you know, in 2012, I went to a doctor's appointment and found out that I needed a stent placed in my heart. And because I had a 90% blockage, they call it the widow maker. I just got lucky. I went in to see the doctor 
And so I told everybody at work, you know, not the whole team, but I told all of the people that I worked with, this is what's going on. So I go through a couple of days, weeks or whatever of recovery from the, the procedure. And literally a month after the heart stent, my mother died of pancreatic cancer. And I told everybody at work, you know, it's because I love the people I worked with and I wasn't going to hide from them. And I knew that they loved me back. And so for that three or four month period, when I was basically worthless, having gone through my own issues and then losing my mother, I allowed that team to, to, uh, you know, rally around me. And then when we had teammates that went through similar experiences, I mean, you guys know this, we had two or three teammates whose either spouse or they had major heart issues, you know, like having to be paddled back to life type of stuff. When you go through that, then all of a sudden they share that with you and now you can be of service to them. You know, I was on the phone today with a, with a guy that worked with us over the years whose father is dying of pancreatic cancer, literally. Like he probably only has a few days, if maybe a few weeks left. And, you know, he's an independent contractor that worked for us. And so he called me today because he knew all about what I went through. And I know what he's going through. And so I'm able to share with him, not advice, experience. And so we spoke on the phone today for probably 45 minutes to an hour. And we didn't talk about work. We talked about his father. We talked about writing his father a letter and telling him how great of a dad he was so that he can read it before he dies. We talked about what do you say to a, because my grandfather did this, what do you say to a parent or a grandparent who's on their deathbed who looks at you and apologizes for being a bad father or a bad grandmother? Um, and again, I don't, I, don't have, I don't have a solution to that. I don't have advice. All I have is here's how I help, dealt, you know, here's how I dealt with it. You know, here's how we got through it. If you don't bring that, that's what I'm talking about with love, right? That's what I'm talking. And then if I love you and I trust you, I can hold you accountable. I can tell you when you're not living up to the standard at work or when you're not focusing on the mission or when you're not embodying our core values because you know that that's coming from a place of concern and care and love. If I don't know you and I don't care about you and I start criticizing you, you can tell me to pack my stuff and get out. You're not going to listen to me. As a matter of fact, you're going to dig in, you're going to defend, and you're going to fight back. And so, again, more often than not, we say, oh, don't bring that love stuff to the workplace. And again, we're not talking about I love you, I want to marry you. We're talking about I love you enough to get to know you and to invest in you and to say what's in it from me, how can I help you, how can I serve you, and then how can I hold you accountable, make you better, you know, be your friend, be your leader, whatever. So that, that's what the love thing is. And I look at that as being the same on the playing field. Too many times I see coaches screaming and yelling at players. They don't even know what, what that kid's going through. They don't know about what that kid's dealing with at home. You know, they don't know about the kid who was molested or was kicked out of their house or who has a father who's you know, lost his job or a grandmother who's died. I mean, they don't, you don't, and so then you become a transactional coach as opposed to a transformational coach. I don't want to be transactional. Were you able to share the content with the coaches beforehand and what was their take on it, if you were able to share it with them? Like, how did you get them to buy into your content so that you could start then spreading it through them as well? Well, the, in, in the, the current situation, it's more or less that I've shared this outline with the, the head coach, and he's, um, I, I don't want to say he's signed off on it, because, right. you know, it, it, then it all comes down to the presentation as mm-hmm. well. Uh, but he is supportive of it. Uh, over the years with lacrosse, it was, again, constant communication. Here's what we need to talk about. You know, here's what's on the outline. And then I'm constantly asking the coaches, what, what should we be talking about? 
And then uh, in the last couple of years, I've taken to going to practice and saying to a kid, hey, uh, you know we do character development talks once a week. Yeah. I was like, anything you want me to address? And again, more often than not, 16-year-old kid looks at you or 20-year-old college kid looks at you and says, uh, you're asking me? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Is anything going on? Um, one of the topics that we routinely address, and, and it's great in football, you've got homecoming. And in lacrosse, you've got the spring, the prom or spring formal or whatever they call it, fall spring sports. So we're getting ready to go to a homecoming football game. And then what's going to happen after the game? And then what's going to happen the next day when you go to the dance? And what I mean by what's going to happen, that's when you have the discussions about alcohol, drugs. And one of my favorite topics is how do you treat that date? How do you treat that young woman? Because that young woman is some father's most precious possession or some mother's baby or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it. But she deserves to be treated with respect and courtesy and grace and kindness. And so we use, it's a timely thing. It comes up every fall. You have those conversations. In lacrosse, every spring, we talk about that. And so um, a lot of it, again, it's what's happening in their lives, what's happening today. And we're able to, you know, tailor the message as a result. Have you had the opportunity to go through the curriculum with the coaching staff? Like you actually delivering the content to them. And for me, like me, for example, we talked about love and I wasn't there. Have you had the opportunity to dive into this with the coaches before actually delivering the content to the team? We haven't done it that way, no. Um, in the case of lacrosse, having been there for multiple seasons, you know, it's basically the same thing, you know, every year. Um, again, they know what's coming. They don't just, they just don't necessarily know what the story or the setting is going to be that's behind it. Um, but I will tell you that to me, one of the greatest, um, progressions in this whole thing is when I'm not the speaker. And so what I mean by that is you get to a point where now I want another coach to deliver this week's topic or today's topic. But then when you really hit Nirvana, you go and you find a, a leader on the team. Now a senior team captain has to stand up in front of the team and talk about what mistakes they've made and gets to share their experience with the team and then how they addressed whatever those mistakes or problems were. And so again, right now we're in the, you know, the walk, no, the crawl phases, you know, with the football program with lacrosse, we, we had, it was different because we had year after year, fall season, spring season, club season, but I refuse to coach more often than not, not every time, but even at practice, you know, we always get the team together at the end and it's like, Hey, you know, you did great at the faceoff X or man, you, you ran great routes today or, you know, whatever. When they say to me, all right, Coach Silva, what do you want to talk about? I don't talk about X's and O's. We talk about, again, whatever's on your heart at that point in time. So I don't know if that answered the question, but that's kind of part of the way that the progression works. Yeah, definitely. Because I think, I mean, I know I've, I've experienced a lot of the content that you're talking about um, that for me to hear it as an adult, I mean, I, I learned so much from it so that I, I imagine that, uh, I mean, and there are a lot of high school coaches that are young. Um, and probably haven't heard some of what the content that you're delivering as well. Yeah. Um, so I would love to for them to hear it as well and, and see if there's some uh, walls that can be 
torn down with him as well. Well, and you guys asked earlier, you know, why, why are you so passionate about it? It's because I look back on partly when I was a teammate and a team captain in college well, and in high school, and then as a young coach in my 20s, and then I stopped coaching for about 10 years. And then when I got back into coaching, thank God I got that book, you know, Season of Life, early when I got back into coaching. But I look back on you know, pre-book, you know, prior to the book, I don't know that I'd have wanted to be coached by me. You know, I had a lot of that, you know, rah-rah, drill sergeant, yell and scream, drive them into submission, build them back up, you know, break them down, build them up, basic training type stuff. And um, I just don't know that that, you, just, it, you know, again, you don't need to yell and scream and be a man uh, because we're talking about sports. And, um it's just not some. I don't know that I'd wanted. I'd have wanted to be coached by me when I got back into coaching. So. So you have a daughter. Mm-hmm. She's into sports as well. Yeah. Do any of her coaches talk to her about any of these um, situations, or or to give guidance like this, or the flip side of it for a young woman? I don't know. Um, I know that my daughter has been blessed with some pretty good coaches um, at the high school level with her lacrosse program. I don't know how deeply they get into this. Um, For me, the evolution has been since I'm coaching, I do it with whatever team that I'm with. I've not really pushed it on other programs. Uh, If somebody approaches me, I'm more than willing to help or offer the the outline or the topics. but I'm not really sure. Uh, I think they may do some topical stuff, but I don't know how deep and how consistent it is. To me, what you are doing is pretty unique. I know it's not done in every school all across the country. And, and um, Do you feel or do you have the uh, want to kind of spread this type of character building throughout Florida or throughout the rest of the states, cities and states all across the country. To me, it's pretty damn important. The answer to that is kind of multifaceted. Um, I'm not ready to give up my day job. Uh, That's number one. Um, But I will also say that in the last, well, again, since our podcast, our first podcast, um, and I, I did. I got a chance to do a couple of lacrosse camps this summer, and one of them was actually called Life Leadership Lacrosse, and it was with uh, a, a Division One head coach, and it was up in the Western Mountains of Ma- or Western Massachusetts in the Berkshires, and he asked me to come in and, and do this. So I gave the kids a, about a forty-five minute keynote on be a man, which you get the outline, and you know I share the, the apology notes to my girlfriends, and you know there's. A lot of uh, transparency to it, and I think it was well received. Those boys were 10 to 16 years old, so again, you you massage the message a little bit um, because it doesn't have to be as in your face as it would be for a high school or, or especially a college program. But nonetheless, you know, it was age appropriate, and to be able to communicate to kids at that age, um, I think, is really important. And then I was able, and this was on behalf of Wounded Warrior Project, I was able to speak at the Inside Lacrosse Committed uh, Academy this summer. Jeremiah Pauly and I were up there together and 
course, you know, he, he did a great, you know, entry or opening keynote. And then I served on a panel and we talked about leadership and character, but then I was able to give that be a man speech again. And, uh, that one was really interesting because it was the first time I had ever given it in that setting and in, in the full, you know, again, 45 minutes. And there were 300 kids. They were rising high school seniors and rising college freshmen, all division one recruited athletes and then all of their coaches. So I think there was somewhere in the neighborhood of 320 people in this auditorium. And I would, I, I, I think it was well received. Um, and again, more, most of them had never heard this message before. And so do I think that there's a need for it? Yeah. Do I think that, you know, um, it, it's something that, that I'm passionate about? Absolutely. Am I ready to do it? You know, Monday through Friday, nine to five at this point, not yet. Um, I'm blessed to have a great job and work for a wonderful team. And so what I'm trying to do now is share it where I can. It's starting in my own backyard, if you will. And then I think I've got, I want to say eight, um, uh, eight, ca- uh, speeches on the calendar between now and the end of January. So uh, a couple of colleges, a couple of high schools, a boarding school, uh, one of the local private schools here, um, and then continuing to refine this work with our high school football team and then the lacrosse team in the spring. So, yeah. Very good. Very, very good. So we're at about an hour and a half right now, close to it. I'm sure we got another hour and a half episode coming in about five weeks with Adam. Um, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to bring him back after he does some of those, uh, those speeches that he just spoke about so that he could uh, share some of those stories with us. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, Jeff? Yeah, yeah. It's about that time, you think? You think? You think? I, I, you told me that you're queued up today. I told you that I had a song today. <laughs> you have a song, but you're not queued up just yet. Right. It would be rude to do that in the middle of our interview with this lovely <laughs> gentleman here. So, Adam, you've been here before. You know what's about to go down. I do. We have our Beast Mode moment, followed by Jeff's joint. The Beast Mode moment, we'll get that out of the way while you look for your song there. And I don't want to be rude to you either. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know what, Jeff? I love you. Love you, brother. (laughs) Uh, uh, The Beast Mode moment uh, comes courtesy of uh, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits. Uh, I think Adam alluded to it earlier. Uh, Seek first to understand, then be understood. Um, Adam touched on it earlier. I thought it was a great message. Um, and that's your beast mode moment. So it's not courtesy of Team Grasshopper this time, man. That's pretty Very impressive. Interesting. Like, yeah. Very interesting. Uh, Adam, takeaways from this episode. Being a man is not what we've been told. We've all been lied to. Uh, society and culture have given us the false uh, definition of manhood, um, and it's not has nothing to do with prowess in the bedroom, the ball field, the battlefield, the billfold, or the boardroom. It is all about relationships, commitment to a cause greater than self, and living by a code of conduct. That's what it takes to be a good man. Very good, Jeff. Are you ready? I'm ready, baby. <laughs> Adam. He's ready. Get after it. Get after Let's it. go. Here we go. Jeff's joint.
listening out there who may have young boys you know it, it is up to you to guide them and teach them uh, to walk like a man not just going on in life without any direction or moral compass but it is uh, very important that they like Adam was saying you know the discussions that he has with these young men on the teams and, and trying to teach them the right way to do things. And it's way more than just that. But don't just talk the talk, but it's important for them to walk like a man. Hence the song, my brother. Is that your takeaway, sir? Yes. My takeaway? My other takeaway is Adam Silva is still a very handsome devil. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that. It's the hair, right? Uh, anyway. Uh, much more than the hair. <laughs> <laughs> My takeaway, the, the three B's that he talked about, the bedroom, uh, the boardroom, and the ball field. Uh, I wish that I would have heard those messages when I was coming up as a, as a young man. Um, and the battlefield. And the battlefield, yeah. Um, I wish that I would have heard those messages coming up as a young man, as a young athlete um, in sports that I played. I wish that our coaches spoke to us about those things. Um, but nonetheless, I'm grateful that I had the opportunity and continue to have the opportunity to hear these messages from Adam. And I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing some more about your journey and where this takes you. Uh, and hopefully sitting in a room one day when you're delivering this message as well. Absolutely. Thank you. And to our live studio audience, shout out. <laughs> Thank you for the questions. <laughs> well, Jeff. Jeff. <laughs> Jeff, sometimes I call him Jeff, right? Jeff, big Jeff. Hello. Uh, that's it, brother. Goodbye. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. Adam Silva. Thanks, Gaye guys. Martinez. And for Shade Malloy, this is Big Jeff. Or Jeff. <laughs> and this is Yeye Martinez. This has been Beauty and Beast Mode. Peace. Be good to one another. See ya.